Well, welcome. It's good to have you with us today. I know some of you are visiting and some of you are from out of town or locally, but we, we hope you pray, pray that you feel welcome here today with us as you worship with us on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we just want to uh, let you know afterwards we do have a, a kind of a light fellowship over there in the fellowship hall, uh, some food and coffee, whatnot. If you have time to hang around, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, if not, we understand, but uh, uh, please feel at home. We're glad that you took time to spend Resurrection Sunday with us here today. Um, this past week, I heard a story, and um, I heard a story of a guy who was driving to the store, and um, he hit and killed the Easter Bunny. No, this is, this is a real story. I mean, <laughs> he killed him. And a lady who was following the man in another car jumped out and ran over to the dead Easter bunny. He's just laying there on the road. The man's kind of traumatized. And she grabs something out of her purse, can. She runs over to the Easter bunny. She begins to spray this can all over the Easter bunny. She waited a couple moments. All of a sudden, the Easter bunny sprung up, back to life. Took about five steps and waved. Hopped a little bit more and waved. Hopped a little further, waved. Kept on doing that till the Easter bunny was out of, out of sight. And the man just stood there dumbfounded, like, what in the world just happened? And he went over to the lady. He goes, what's in that can? She picked up the can and she looked at it, and she says, brings dead hair back to life, <laughs> adds wave. <laughs> I know, that's a sad joke, but I had to break the ice somehow. Well, today, I can tell those kind of jokes because I don't have any hair, you know. Uh, today, we're in our fourth message in a series that we've been in for about four weeks now, uh, entitled, For Us. And if you're new here, we'll just do a quick review. But uh, this message is, these messages have been telling us what Jesus has done for us. And we talked about, we've looked at Matthew 26, 27, and now we're going to be in Matthew 28. And today we're going to be looking at his resurrection. But we summarized the gospel, if you can remember. Um, I've told you over the past couple of weeks, the gospel can be summarized in four words. Do you remember what they were? Jesus in our place. Jesus in our place. That's what the gospel's all about. That's what this sermon series has been all about leading up to today, Resurrection Sunday. Everything that Jesus went through, everything that he did while he was here on earth, everything that he suffered and all the anguish and everything, he did for us. He didn't need to do it for himself, he was God. He was the son of God. He was completely sufficient in and of himself. He didn't need anything from anyone. But he did it for us. And the first week, we looked at how he was betrayed for us. Remember, if you know anything about the, the biblical story, he was betrayed by who? By Judas, right? And we observed how betrayal is something that, that stings to the core. It's, it's something that really hurts a lot. 
Because betrayal comes from a close distance, we said. Um, Betrayal usually doesn't come from a distant enemy. We would consider that what? That That would be an attack, right? That wouldn't be a betrayal. And so betrayal comes from a a close friend, a close companion. And betrayal came to Jesus from a very close-knit group of men, 12 of them, by the way which he chose to be with him. And one of them betrayed him. And we saw how that betrayal stung Jesus to his core. In the second message, we looked at how not only was he betrayed for us, but he was tempted for us. Jesus Christ was tempted for us. And we saw... In Matthew 27, that uh, it, it showed us how he was, he was tempted in the garden to forsake the plan of God. He could have called 12 legions of angels to come and pick him up at any time, but he didn't do it. He withstood the temptation. That's the difference between him and us. When we're tempted, usually what, what happens? We fall into the temptation, right? We sin. Please know, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to the temptation. Jesus didn't do that. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What this means is we have a God who's not some God off in the distant heaven somewhere that can't relate to us. He can very much relate to us. Because his son was Jesus Christ who came down here on earth and put on a human body just like ours. And yet he remained fully God as well. And he was tempted, the Bible says, as we are, and yet without sin. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. It's like the boss that that sits in his office and criticizes all the little workers down on the line, but he's never once stood on the line. Right? He can't relate to them. Well, Jesus went down on the line for us. He says he was tempted with every respect in every way as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. And that's why we can draw with confidence close to the throne of grace. That he may have mercy and find grace in time of need. See, Jesus can relate to us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're feeling. He knows what we're experiencing. We can be assured that Jesus understands. He's able to sympathize with us and help us with our problems and with our issues. Because why? He, he experienced it all. There's nothing that you and I experienced that Jesus never experienced. And yet he did so without sin. And on Friday, the third thing we looked at was basically Good Friday. We said we saw how Jesus was what? He was crucified for us. He was crucified for us. And we saw and we talked about how the cross of Christ is really the crux of our entire faith. But it's also, we said, the crossroads for everyone. Everyone. You don't have to be a Christian to be confronted with the cross. Everyone who has ever been born comes to a crossroads at the cross. Even Jesus Christ had to face the cross. And we talked about that. He had to face the cross before he could be raised from the dead. If there was no cross, we wouldn't be having <laughs> Resurrection Sunday, right? There'd be nobody to be, no reason for him to be resurrected. 
And so we, we talked about how at that crossroads, everyone on the entire planet comes to either one of two decisions. Either they believe it or they don't. Either they cling to the cross or they become callous to the cross. Their hearts grow callous. Either they receive the cross or they reject it. See, there's no other decision there. There's no third door. There's no third option. Either it's yes, Jesus, or no, Jesus. Because the cross is really the crux of our faith. And that brings us to today, the Resurrection Sunday, right? Easter, as the world would call it. And this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And we're going to be examining our passage through our, our message that he was resurrected for us. He was resurrected for us. If the cross is the, the, the crux of our faith or the core of our faith, let me say this. The resurrection is the validation of our faith. And we're going to look at different ways how it validates our faith. It's the central event in the life of, Christ, of, of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the the central event in God's redemptive history. It's the cornerstone of our Christian faith. And everything that we have, everything that we hope to be, is predicated on the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And so there would be no Christianity, would there, if there was no resurrection? If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we wouldn't be here today, physically singing songs to a dead Jesus. Why would we do that? There'd be no Christianity. The message of Scripture has always been the message of resurrection hope, a message that that death is, is not the end, that death no longer holds a power over those who belong to God. It's really the pivoting point of our faith, the resurrection is. Because for the believer, death has never been an end, but rather you could think of it as a doorway, a doorway to eternal life with God. And all that hope, all that that promised hope that God gives us throughout all of history is all based on, it's foundational to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, around this time of the year, they have all these movies. You see um, articles on Jesus, and you see movies and documentaries and all this kind of things. And it's always interesting to me when you watch some of those. Some of them are real, you know, you can tell they're kind of low budget, right? I mean, it's really sad. You know, it's like, why did they even produce this thing? But other ones are pretty good quality. You know, when you, if you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ, when they crucify Christ, I mean, you feel it in your gut. I mean, when you see what he went through physically, I mean, you can literally see the flesh and the nail and the wood and the soldiers pounding and his body just raw from the scourging. It touches us deep within our soul. So some of them are pretty authentic. But it always is interesting to me because have you ever noticed that Hollywood always tries to portray the life of Jesus in a certain way, but then when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, what happens? It just kind of becomes spiritualized somehow. 
They don't spend a whole lot of time on the resurrection of Jesus. Most of the movies, when they come to the resurrection, what happens? You just hear music, right? And maybe some clouds in the sky. And then you see like this, this ghost of Jesus drifting off to heaven. And, you know, they don't even talk about the resurrection. They just assume, oh, he understand what happened. But where is the Lord, you know, in those movies? Um, usually that happens right before all the trailers come, you know, at the end of the movie. This ghostly image of Jesus hanging out in the clouds. It, I think if the resurrection had actually been like that, I don't think Thomas would have believed. I don't think any of the disciples would have believed, frankly. That's just kind of a weird way to portray the resurrection of Jesus. Because the only resurrection that counts for anything is not some spiritual resurrection. It's the resurrection of Jesus' physical body. If Jesus' physical body is still in the grave, then guess what? There was no resurrection. The disciples knew Jesus' resurrection was real. How did they know it was real? Because they what? They touched his body physically. And one doubted, and doubting Thomas, right? But they all doubted to some degree. They all doubted. But when they touched the physical body of Jesus, they realized, wow, he really is alive. He really did come back from the dead. And it was only because of their deeply grounded conviction that he was raised from the dead that they were able to go out to the most obscure parts of the world and really turn the world upside down. I mean, think about it. If the resurrection of Christ would not have been real, do you think people would have given, given up their lives for the cause of Christ? Do you think we'd be here today? Paul believed that the resurrection was basic to the Christian faith. He writes of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 5, he says, For I delivered to you, he, sa- he says, I'm going to give you three things, and they're really important to the Christian faith. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Number one, that Christ died. You have to understand that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures. Secondly, he says, you have to understand that Christ was what? He was buried. He was buried. He didn't fall asleep. He was actually buried. They knew he was dead. That's why they they put him in a tomb. And then thirdly, he says that he was what? Raised back to life on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Later on in the same chapter there, Paul goes on to say, if, if that resurrection hadn't occurred, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ hadn't occurred, then basically our Christian faith is just utterly empty hope. And all of us who believe that Jesus forgave us our sins, guess what? We're still in our sins. Our sins have never been forgiven if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Jesus was mistaken when he said he would rise. And if he was mistaken, he couldn't be the divine son of God. Because God does not lie. So his death on the cross was not a true atonement for our sins, if that's the case. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then no redemption was accomplished. He says, your faith is worthless, Paul says in verse 17. He says, you're still in your sins. You're still in your sins. See, without the resurrection, there is no Christian faith. There's no salvation. There's no hope. 
A person who believes in Christ, who was not raised, believes in a powerless Christ. I would go as far as to say they believe in a dead Christ. They believe in a Christ who's a liar and a sinner, a mere man like you and I, if he had not come out of the grave. Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. But he does guarantee our resurrection because Paul says, now Christ has been raised from the dead. He knew it because he saw the risen Christ, right? On the road to Damascus. The Apostle Paul saw him for himself. And the Bible says, since a man came, since through one man death came to the world, Adam, when Adam sinned, the entire human race was tainted with sin. And you can't argue that. I mean, just look at society. I mean, whether you call it sin or whatever you want to call it, something's not right in the human heart today. The Bible defines it as sin. Sin basically means you're missing the mark. God has a certain standard and you're not hitting it. So it says, through Adam came death, but it also says, by a man, that being Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all are made alive, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 22. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest event in the history of the world. It really is. It is so foundational to Christianity that no one who denies it can be a Christian. You're not a believer if you deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't be. And so this morning, I want us to look at Matthew 28. And and I would ask you once again, if you can, just bear with me. But I would ask you to stand in honor of God's word. As we look at verses 1, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 10 for time's sake. Beginning in verse 1, Matthew 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled. And became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Father, we ask you to bless this word this morning to our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot of people, beloved, who are informed about the resurrection. 
They're informed about the resurrection. Probably most of you who came to church here today, if I went around one by one, took you one by one and said, what happened on this day? You could probably tell me, well, Jesus was raised from the dead. That's, at least that's what they say. Even if you don't believe it, you would know what Easter's about. So there's a lot of people who are <clears throat> informed by the resurrection. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of people who have been transformed by the resurrection. Big difference. It's a big difference. I remember growing up in a most, well, Catholic family, and every Easter, you know, it'd be the one time of the year where we'd get new clothes for church, you know, and they'd be starchy, and I hated it, you know, I'd, I'd wear a tie and everything. And, um, and then I, I remember other things. I remember Easter was the day that Lent ended. And usually, you know, I, I like candy, you know, sweets and stuff. So I, as a young child, I would, I would always give up candy for Lent. And I thought, why did I do that, you know? And I'd even cheat along the way, but I'm sure the Lord understood. But I remember the joy of Easter morning. This is what Easter was all about in our household. We'd come down the steps, and on the table, each of us would have a huge, like, huge Easter basket. And we'd, we'd have one giant Whatever kind of egg we like, mine was peanut butter. We'd have a giant peanut butter egg, chocolate made by some candy guy in the area. And then all jelly beans and all kinds of candy in there, you know. And it was just incredible. And I thought, yeah, Lent's over, you know, let's dig in, you know. And then, you know, we eat all this candy, then we go to church. You know, that didn't go too well. <laughs> you know, I'm sure the priest didn't appreciate the parents giving all the kids candy before they went to church. But, you know, I just recall that. I, I remember the, this is kind of odd, but like the week before Easter, we would get the little uh, egg dyeing things, you know, and you'd have to put vinegar. I remember the smell of vinegar. Whenever I smell vinegar, that's what I think of, Easter eggs. I don't know, this is weird, okay? I remember walking out in the driveway, and we had to take a picture before we go to church, and I remember seeing all the tulips and the irises and all the beautiful flowers in my mom's flower beds around our property, and I thought, wow, this is just it's incredible, but Easter morning was, you know, you'd go to church and then you'd come home and you'd eat yourself to death. And that was basically it. Nothing about really the resurrection. And each of us have probably our own childhood images of this day. But Resurrection Sunday should be way more than something we just celebrate once a year. Would you agree? I mean, it should be a daily event. I mean, Jesus Christ died and then he came back to life. And therefore, that assures us that one day we will have new life, resurrected life. And many people overlook the significance of this day. You know, it's, it's kind of like the kids who were four years old and they were in a Sunday school class. And the teacher asked them the, day, the Sunday before um, Easter, they said, does anybody know what today is? And one little girl raised her hand and she said, oh, today's Palm Sunday. You know, she's one of those kids, like, little know-it-all. And so the teacher, you know, said, well, very good, you know. Does anybody know what next Sunday is? And she put her hand up, you know, just kind of blurted out, you know, oh, it's Easter. And, uh, and the teacher said, well, that's just wonderful. Uh, and she thought, well, these questions are kind of, you know, a little too easy for them. So she said, does anyone know what's so special about Easter? And a little girl, you know, without even, she raised her hand, but she just started talking, right? And she said, well, that's the day that Jesus came out of the grave. And before the teacher could say, oh, great answer. She said, and then she saw, he, he saw his shadow and he had to go back in for six weeks. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we don't have 
you know, the right information when it comes to the resurrection and Easter. And sadly, that's true of a lot of people today in our society. And so today we want to look at just four things here. What the resurrection of Jesus validates. What the resurrection of Jesus validates. First of all, it validates the person of Jesus Christ. It validates the person of Jesus Christ. It it says to us in loud, very loud language that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is who he claimed to be. Look at verse 5 and 6 of our text, Matthew 28. It says, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know, what? That you seek Jesus who was crucified. And then the angel said, he's not here, for he has risen as he said. Okay? This verifies that Christ was speaking truth. This verifies that Christ was who he claimed to be. In Romans chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, this is God promising this, concerning his son, who is Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus made some outrageous claims while he was here on earth. If you've read through the Gospels, you probably know that. He said things like, I'm God. (laughs) He also said things like, I'm perfect. He said things like, I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the savior of the world. Those are pretty bold claims, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? Um, in John eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. See, the problem today with our society is they, they look at Jesus and they want to be tolerant and they want to, you know, they want to be kind of have good thoughts about Jesus. And they say, well, he's a good teacher. A lot of people believe that. They say, yeah, you know, he was a good teacher. You know what? A good teacher would never say what Jesus said. They just wouldn't. They wouldn't say it. I mean, I could go out and I could teach people all over the peninsula all kinds of good moral truths, right? I mean, I could do that. And people could say, oh, that's Steve. He's a good teacher. Right? But if I started calling myself God, (laughs) I don't think you would think of me as a good teacher anymore, would you? See, Jesus was either who he said he was, or he was the biggest liar who ever lived. He said, I am God. I mean, he made some claims, and he said, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to validate my claims. I'm going to validate who I am. One day, Jesus was in the temple, and they were, in the temple, they had money changers, and they were basically people there, kind of like a thrift market, almost, you could imagine. And it'd be like if you walked in our church today, and there was people, you know, as you made your way in, you had people selling you trinkets. Hey, we got a mug here, Grace Bible Church, it's only two ninety nine. you want to buy it? You know, oh, we have this, we have a pen, you know, this is four ninety nine. You know, you, you would be turned off, right? That'd be like, whoa, what are you doing? This is a church. Well, that's what they did in God's temple. And and Jesus got fed up with it. 
And so what he did is one day he got up with her and he went over in the temple and he said he cleared it out. I mean, he was throwing tables over. He said, get out of here. You're turning my, my father's house into a, a den of thieves. Because these people weren't the most honest people. So besides selling their trinkets, they were actually ripping people off. They had, they had turned the temple in kind of like a, a San Jose flea market kind of a situation. And he drove them out. And they said, what, what right do you have to do this? Who do you think you are? And we know what his answer was? I am God. That's who I think I am. And they said, prove it. And he said, I will. And what was his answer? You know what? After you kill me, because I know that's going to happen, Jesus said, I'm going to come back to life three days later. <laughs> that's a pretty bold claim. That's something that can be substantiated. He claimed to be God, and his resurrection backs up what he claimed. It validated who he was. Jesus Christ also said in Romans 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to God, the Father, except through me. So when you stop and you think about it, what was Jesus saying? I mean, when you look at that verse, I am the way, the truth, the life. If you have your Bible, circle the word the. It's a pretty strong claim. He's not mincing words here. He said, I'm the way. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. He didn't say, I'm the good way. I'm the easy way. He, he didn't say, I'm, I'm, I'm one of these ways. He said, no. I am the way. See, a lot of people believe today the statement that all, all roads lead to heaven. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Just, just be a good person. Just try to do as, as good as you can, and, and, and all roads will get you to heaven. That's going to be one of the dumbest statements I've ever heard, to be honest with you. It's a stupid statement. I'll tell you why. It'd be like me going to the phone in the back there and just dialing any random number. Any random number. Just use this one here. Any random number. And you know what? When that happens, I dial any random number. Well, who are you calling? Oh, I'm calling my house. Is that your phone number? No, it's just a random number. It wouldn't make any sense. It'd be like me saying, you know what? I'm going to drive to San Diego. Okay. And I get in my car and I just start driving. What direction are you going? It doesn't matter. I'm on the road. All roads lead to San Diego. Everybody knows that. I'm just going to keep driving until I get there. You would say, you're out of your mind. You're going to run out of money real quick with the price of gas, right? I mean, driving all over the place trying to get to San Diego by not having directions. Jesus said, I am the way. He also said, I'm the truth. That means any other way is not the truth if he's right. He claimed to be God. He says, no one can get to the God the Father except by me. See, if you don't believe Jesus Christ is who he said he was, even if you don't believe that, guess what you do every time you write a check? You validate Jesus' claim. You validate it. You write down what? A date. What's a date? 2022. What's that reference? It references Jesus' birth. Right? A.D., P.C. 
Every time you write a date, Jesus is the reference point. He said he was who he claimed to be. And you say, well, you know, Jesus is just a great moral teacher. He's like Buddha. He's like Confucius. He's like Muhammad. You can't even say that, and here's why. Buddha claimed to be a moral teacher. Confucius claimed to be a moral teacher. Muhammad claimed to be a prophet of God. But none of them claimed that they were anything more than just men. Jesus claims about himself that Buddha, Confucius, and Muhammad never made about themselves. Why? Because Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be God, and he was. He claimed that he had always existed. He claimed that he would always exist and that the world and everything in it belongs to him and that someday it would be ruled by him. Now, if I stood here before you today and I said, you know what, folks, I am God and someday I will rule the world. I mean, you would think that I was nuts. You wouldn't say, oh, that pastor, he's such a good teacher, such a moral man. No, you'd say he's out of his mind. He's lost his cookies. There's something wrong with him upstairs. He's lying. He's crazy. He's an egomaniac. He's dangerous. You would say all kinds of things. So don't give me the thing, well, Jesus was just a good teacher, a moral person. Because if he wasn't who he claimed to be, he wasn't any of those. Because when Jesus made those claims, he wasn't lying. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't e- egomaniac. And he wasn't dangerous. He was telling the truth. He was telling us who he was. Repeatedly, over and over again throughout the New Testament, Jesus claims to be God. And it drove his enemies crazy when they would do this. In John 5.18, it says, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Why? It tells us. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath... But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And his enemies just kind of lost their marbles at this point. They thought, how can he do this? Well, he can do it because he was what he said he was. He claimed to be God. And if he claimed to be God, and he was, then maybe we should take what he said pretty serious. So when Jesus said... Guess what? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. We might want to consider those words. This means we have to abandon the notion that all religions lead to the same place. You know, you hear people say, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, Jesus said this in John 10, 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He didn't say I'm one of the gates, I'm one of the ways, or anything like that. He said whoever enters through me will be saved. See, because of the resurrection, these words carry weight. They wouldn't carry otherwise. If Jesus had remained in the grave, the question of whether or not he is the only way to heaven would be up for debate. It really would. But we can't go visit the grave of Jesus because he's not there. He's risen from the dead, just like the Bible said that he did. 
The resurrection answers the question. It ends the argument once for all. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Yes, he is. That's the person of Jesus Christ. It validates the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it validates the power of Jesus Christ. It validates the power of Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in verse 6, Matthew 28. He is not here for what? He has risen. He has risen. That, that, those words, has risen, is translated in an aorist passive form in the Greek language. It could also be rendered, has been raised. Do you understand that Jesus Christ had the power to raise himself from the dead? In John 10, 18, it says, no one takes this life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And then he says this, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, this charge I received from my father. What's interesting is not only was Jesus involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he just didn't raise himself. The whole Trinity was involved, the Bible says. Because the Bible also seems to indicate that the Father was involved in the resurrection. In Romans 6, 4, it says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. So the Father was involved in the raising of Christ. Or in Galatians 1, 1, Paul writes this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So God the Father helped in this process. In 1 Peter 1.3, it tells us the same thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is also involved. In Romans 8.11, it says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The entire Trinity, beloved, the entire Godhead, the power of the Godhead was participated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that the resurrection validates the power that Jesus had. He said himself, all power on earth and in heaven is given to me. Jesus had a lot of power. A lot of people are after power today. We see it in the world. We see it in the government. Everybody wants power. Well, Jesus had all the power that anyone could ever want because he was God. And he could do everything God could do. And that's why he said, nobody takes my life. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to raise it up again. No force could keep him in the tomb. The Romans killed him. Think about this. They, they put him in a tomb. They put a big stone in front of it. I mean, a huge stone. You couldn't lift it by yourself. And then they sealed it with a Roman seal, which was a pretty big deal. And they posted a, a guard there, a 24-hour guard in front of the tomb, because they didn't want anybody... To, be able to come and steal the body and say, oh, look, he, wrote, he was risen from the dead. His disciples, you know, we actually got the, the body of Jesus and we hid it, but we're telling everybody that he actually rose from the dead. They didn't want that scenario to play out. So they took all these precautions. They were trying to prevent the inevitable 
He had all the power in the world at his disposal. He said, you know what? You can't stop me. I give my life down. I take my life up. That's where you get the phrase. You can't keep a good man down. So you have the person of Christ. You have the power of Christ that it validates. The resurrection of Jesus Christ also validates the the, the purpose of Christ. The purpose of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 7. The text says in verse 7, it says, Then go quickly and what? Tell his disciples. If you just go through this text and circle the word tell, you'll see what I'm getting at. Also down in verse 10, tell my brothers, they will see me. And then in verse 19, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, or telling them to observe everything that I have told you. In Romans 4, verse 24 and 25, it says, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised From the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. Why did Jesus come to earth? He didn't come to be served, right? The Bible says he came to lay down his life, to be that perfect sacrifice that God required. And that's why Paul says if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, guess what? There's no forgiveness of sin. That's not happening. And so... The purpose of Christ was to pay the payment that we owed God. We stand before a holy God condemned, every one of us. And the only way around that condemnation from God and that judgment from God is through his son and the sacrifice that he paid on the cross. Well, the last thing here, the promises of Jesus Christ. It validates the promises of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he says, hey, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And guess what? Jesus said this. They will see me. That was a promise. Verse 17, guess what it says? And when they saw him, promises, what, made? Promises kept. See, that's, that's what we're talking about here with Jesus. And Jesus says all the way down at the end, Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. I like those two, three words there at the end of that verse. It says, but some doubted. You know what? There are some of you here today that are doubting my words, that are doubting what I'm telling you to be God's truth. Check it out for yourself. Check it out for yourself. Take, take a copy of God's word and sit down and say, okay, God, if you're really who you, you say you are. Show me. And make a commitment to start reading through the Gospel of John or one of the other Gospels. See, so many times people say, oh, I don't believe in that religious stuff, but they never checked it out. I mean, Jesus is the real deal. And you can talk to people who are sitting probably next to you that he has changed their life, not just for now, but for all eternity. And they'll tell you what an impact that Jesus made Why? Because he lives up to the promises. And at the end, we have the the incredible promise there in verse 20, all the way down at the end of chapter 28. I am with you always to the end of the age, he says. In Mark chapter 10, verse 34, it says this, they will mock and they will flog and they will kill me. This is Jesus speaking. But after three days, I will come back to life. 
Now, either that happened or it didn't. Either Jesus was telling the truth or he wasn't. Because the cross was no surprise to Jesus. It was part of God's plan. His redemptive plan. And and when you think about his plan, there's actually some humor in this whole thing. There really is. If you look hard enough, you can see humor in what we're talking about. I mean, how would you feel if you would have been the guys who arrested Jesus had him taken to a cross, had him killed on the cross, had him put in a tomb, had the tomb sealed with a giant stone and then sealed with the, the seal of Rome and had established a guard, a 24 hour guard around this tomb. And then three days later, you see Jesus walking around. I mean, do you ever think of that? Hey, aren't you the guy that I saw on the cross? I mean, what would you say to him, right? I mean, if you're one of those soldiers. I mean, there's some humor there. That's why verse 20, or chapter 28, verse 5 and 6, it says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. See, Christ had to go through the cross to get to the tomb. You don't put a living person in a tomb. You put a dead person in a tomb. But dead people usually don't come out of their own tomb. It doesn't happen that way. So the angel had to go on and say, he's not here, for he has risen as he, what? Said, as he said. He promised this, and it was fulfilled. The person, the power, the purpose, the promises of Jesus Christ are all validated by his resurrection. This is a historical fact. It wasn't something that was done in some, you know, smoky back room where nobody saw what was going on. It was done openly. The whole city of Jerusalem knew about it. And eventually the whole Roman Empire knew about it. I mean, this was news. If Fox News would have been around, they would have been shooting live video. Wow, here's Jesus walking around. There was 15 historical references to Jesus' meeting people after His resurrection, touching people, talking with people. One time he cooked breakfast for some people. One time he talked to about about 500 people, it says, after he had risen from the dead. A lot of people saw him. This wasn't a fairy tale. This wasn't something they just made up. Well, what does it mean? What does it matter? Who cares? What difference does it make? Well, what if Jesus is who he said he was? Just go there with me for a minute. If, if, if Jesus was really who he said he was, if he really was the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who gives up his life freely so that we can believe in his sacrifice and that he will take upon himself all of our sin, all of the things that we do wrong, he'll take it on himself, And that he will be treated on the cross by God as if he had committed every sin of every person who would ever put their faith and trust in him. Yet himself never committing one sin. He was perfect. Yet he was being treated. The Bible says he actually became sin for us. He became sin for us. What does that mean for us here in 2022 in the Bay Area? It means three things. First of all, quickly, my past can be forgiven. 
my past can be forgiven. I mean, if we went around the room now and we were able to see a video of your life up to this point, I guarantee you some of us would say, yeah, don't show them that part. (laughs) I don't want anybody to see that part, right? Your heart would be filled with shame because you probably did something crazy, wrong. 